Hello everybody and welcome to the Midnight McBride Show. This is show number 53 and this show's called Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and that's because my special guest tonight is Lucy Pattinson. Have I said that right Lucy? You have, thank Yay. you Patrick. Lucy, you are a breath coach and the third co-founder of the Quantum Questions that's actually been on this show. That's right. And there are only three of us. That's There's the just end. three, right. <laughs> but that would be Sam Pillbeam, the show title The Sweetest Little Pill, and also Gregory Garrett as well. Yeah. Yeah. So this show, Lucy, if you've seen it, you'll know that we go on a bit of a journey. We look at somebody's life, how they arrived in this present moment. So the maybe the childhood and what made them into the person they are now. And quite often that can be... Some people, it's a very easy ride, others have had trauma, but it's good to show people, it's quite inspiring, especially if somebody's had a difficult ride, that it's never too late, you can start tomorrow by making some good decisions and change your life. Now, you've got quite an unusual childhood, and initially, you're in, in America, aren't you? In Manhattan, is that right? Yes, yes. So, um, my parents met in New York um, they both moved out to the States in the 1950s. So they're actually British, though. Yeah. 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 And so that's where we were till I was about two and a half. Yeah. And then after that, yeah, I was toing and froing between Manhattan and the Lake District. And can you remember, you know, being in Manhattan as a child? Or, oh, or, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we went to school there as well. So I don't remember under the age of two. But no. I do remember going to school there at the age of six in this enormous school. Yeah. And then you're into the late district. And yeah, well, then we, yeah, we, we went back several times, but yeah. ultimately it was the Lake District, yeah, yeah, which is where my dad was from. See, when we were doing the show notes for this, I was I had, on every occasion and in the show notes, called you Patterson. And it's not, it's Pattinson. That's yes. right, yeah. And you said it's um, a Cumbrian name or from the lakes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very, very much in Windermere. My dad, he lived in New York and in the phone directory with seven million people, he was the only Pattinson. There you go. And you come yeah. to Windermere and there are hundreds of yeah, Pattinsons. Yeah, and they pro most people think it's a spelling mistake. I did, <laughs> you know, but it's actually, it's just, it is unusual. Yeah. 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 Where does that originate from then? From the lakes? I or no. yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, it's certainly very prevalent in the Lake District. So, yes. but I don't know beyond that, Patrick. No, so. no. So then your father was commuting back and forwards. Is that right? Well, yeah, but not a lot. I mean, he came back about six weeks a year. Um, and so they basically lived apart most of the, their marriage, that but they seems, stayed married. Yeah. So. And were they really together? Were they happy? Or was it just <sighs> convenience, you know? Uh, kind of neither. Um, I think they always thought it was temporary and it just kept going on and on. And yeah. I think in a way it suited my dad because he, he liked to be pretty reclusive in a way. Yeah. And I think it was probably too much for him that you know, the bustle of family life. Mm -hmm. But it maybe didn't suit you very well, you know, because you're not seeing your dad often, are you? No, exactly, no, mm -hmm. I know. And we used to all, we used to cry so much every time we said goodbye yeah. to him. And I can, I can relate to that from certain parts of my childhood, but I can imagine that 
you know, if you love your dad and you see him for just a few weeks a year, it's as a young child, it's it's traumatising, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And we yeah. used to treat him like a king. So when he did come back, you know, I remember making the bed with my mum. We put blanket over his feet. Yeah, and cleaning his shoes. She'd and actually <laughs> get some decent food in the house. <laughs> and yeah. And then, you know, he was like this god almost when he came back. Um, yeah. What was he doing over there? Lucy, he was he taught English in a university. He was a professor. Ah, so a clever chap. He was, yeah, I think he was a genius, actually. Right. Super, super clever. You're not an only child, are you? You've got a brother as well? Yeah, I've got an older brother. Right. So, um, Is he yeah. in the lakes? He is now, yeah. yeah. Funnily enough, just this year. So I moved back this year, he's moved back this year. You're Windermere, is he also Windermere? Yeah. Or? Yeah. 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 But we both spent most of our adult life away, so yeah. we're both back, so it's amazing. You mentioned in your notes, Lucy, that you had a lot of freedom growing up from your your mother, predominantly, because your dad's not there. Maybe tell us how you mean by that. Do you mean you, you didn't have to come in at a certain time for tea or a certain time to bed, or do you mean you could just do whatever you wanted? Yeah, well, I would say the latter. Um, and I think that was the, the beauty of not having a dad around, actually, because when he was back, it was stricter. Yeah. And I, maybe it's the contrast I noticed, but my mum used to always say, you can do whatever you like, as long as you tell me if you're going to stay out the night. So I had a really fun teenage time, actually. Yeah. You know, I parted a lot and and I did stay out quite a lot and had boyfriends and it was, I felt free. I really did feel free. Yeah. Um, Most kids, I mean, if you're going to a supermarket now, and I've seen it a few times with the parents, is stand here, don't do that, don't touch this, to, you know, and and they're probably doing it with all the right motivations and intentions, but, yeah, we, we've sort of just been conditioned as a child and programmed, and to be able to run free and, you know, be trusted with that as a child, as long as you're not an idiot, you know, yeah. and you, you don't um, get into a lot of trouble or you don't abuse it, it must be fantastic, yeah. Yeah, so that was a real blessing, actually, and she's very kind, my mother, so I didn't abuse it, but I certainly used it, if you know what I mean. I used the freedom. And I grew up faster, I think, because of it. Yeah. I yeah. became more streetwise. Did your father, was he in the Second World War? He was. And he yeah. was unfortunate that he was 19 in 1939. Right. So he had the whole, it was actually five years. He was in um, Palestine, it was then. And the, the Sinai Desert, I think yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he was an intellectual. He was conscripted, was he? he was yeah, and drafted, he, he'd got yeah. into Cambridge University and he was so out of place. He was just, you know, he was gentle. He was, he just liked to think, read books. And yeah. suddenly he was launched into this madness and he didn't cope. I mean, he never got promoted. He, he you know, um, yeah. he didn't cope. There's a lot of people that I'm aware of and friends of mine and their relatives and a lot of men came back from the war, uh, either war, but came back and, you know, you didn't talk about things then. They didn't open up, you know, you had a stiff upper lip and people didn't share if they had mental health issues and they were suffering from PTSD. PTSD didn't really exist back then. And a lot of men came back from the wars and they went very quiet, were never the same again. And, and the suicide rates were high as well, which, you know, the official figures, I don't think, ever really captured what was happening in the country at the time. But I think it had a terrible effect on families, you know, and the men were never the same when they came back. 
Yeah, and it's generational. So that generation had an effect on our generation and then hopefully will do it better for our children. But it definitely had a knock-on effect. All these men coming back with unhealed traumas. Yeah. Um, and my dad had a nervous breakdown quite soon after he came back mm. and then eventually ended up in the States. But according to his sister, he was a different person and yeah. he certainly had lots of inner troubles. Yeah. I've had two nervous breakdowns and you think you've had one, you think that'll never happen again. And it can still happen, you know, you can still, you think you've figured it all out and you think I've learned some lessons here. I'm going to be a lot more careful and I'm going to look after myself. But, but yeah, I ended up having a second nervous breakdown, you know, so I think it's a, what shall I say, a work in progress. It's a constant thing. And once you've, once you've stretched that elastic band too far and you've broken it, or once you've overstretched it, you have to really look after it. You know, because yeah. it's very easy. I think you're much more susceptible to having a nervous breakdown once you've had a nervous breakdown. And oh, you have really? To, I didn't know that. Mm, I think you you can put yourself back together, but you have to... I've now developed a skill set, I'd say, and tools where if I feel like I'm not feeling good and I'm veering off path, I can recognise the signs fairly quickly and quickly get myself back on track, you know, before it's too late, you know, but... And I guess some people have them without even knowing what it is that's going on. Well, but, this is yeah. it. It's not even classed. It's it's not a medical term. And you tell your doctor, you said, there's no such thing as a nervous breakdown. That's what my doctor told me. There's no such thing as a nervous breakdown. I think, however, a nervous breakdown or a midlife crisis, a shift to spiritual awakening is quite often part, a necessary part of a lot of people's spiritual journey and development, you know, to go through this process where you go back to basics, you dismantle everything, take it apart and then... Put everything back together again. Yeah, but well, I think that's only if you have some guidance, isn't mm. it? If if no one's helping you the other side, I'm not sure you actually even grow from it. Um, mm. But yes, with some guidance and help, I agree, you can have a complete transformation. Yeah. Eckhart Tolle, you know, his wisdom came from the fact that he had a nervous breakdown. It wasn't by choice. He wasn't making good decisions. He just became very depressed, had a nervous breakdown, became suicidal. And then on the other side of that, he gained all this, you know, this wisdom. Yeah, and you know what, Lucy, it says that your mother went and she worked at a, an all-boys school. Yeah. Yeah. What was her role there? She was a matron. Right. Because my dad was away all the time. So this was like a residential job. She had a bit of company, got paid the most ridiculously small amount of money. Yeah. But it also meant I went almost for free, ultimately, and um, to an all-boys school. Yeah. So and I lived there and I moved in when I was 13. So really delightful for me. I mean, I loved it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But so you studied at that school or you just lived there? I lived there and then you I studied there. there when I was 16. So it turned then into a, a mixed school? Yeah. Yeah. Sixth form, they had girls as well. Ah, right, right, right. And it was um, it was actually a total eye opener for me because... It was a boys' public school, and you are taught to think outside the box. It's the most extraordinary education, and everyone should be able to have this kind of education. But it, it was completely mind-blowing for me. I hadn't had any kind of education like that up to that point. Yeah. Um, I'd had a lady on the show two or three shows ago, I think, Kathy Hagerden, and she's a feng shui expert. And she said that she went to one school and they were just told that you're not good enough, you're not worthy and you'll never do anything. She swapped schools and they said, you can do anything. You have the potential to do anything. And 
the different sets of conditioning at the second school, everybody was going out and changing the world and becoming highly qualified course, and doing great yeah. things. And at the first school, they were all ended up in prison, you know. And that's that's just down to it's the same children. It's just that it's different conditioning, you know, and that's the difference a good school can make. The next part of your journey, Lucy, which I find fascinating and beautiful, amazing, is you're out of school and then you're over to Sri Lanka working in an orphanage. Yeah. Was that was that voluntary work? How'd yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. So when I was at school, my last few months, there were like four girls and I, we used to meet in breaks and just philosophise about life. And in that, I just really wanted to do something different. And I just heard about this on the radio, um, applied for it, went out there for a year. And that was a really extraordinary time. I, I bet that. Yeah, sounds amazing. One, because you're experiencing a different culture and another world to what you've been used to. But secondly, you're helping children. That's going to make you very, very rewarding yeah. you know, doing that. And then a couple of after that. Yeah, so then I didn't really know. I, I came back quite confused from that because obviously you see your own world completely differently. Yeah, um, A lot of my friends were off to university and I just didn't want to go that route. So... Then I went to work in a kibbutz and I just stayed there for many months in the end and loved it there. Um, Is this in Israel? In Israel, yeah. And what what was the work you were doing? Like, I know, mm -hmm. I know people have been in there, like, I think, picking grapes and things like that. Yeah, I this. started picking oranges, but very quickly I went into the factory, which I, although I love nature, you work more with the people on the kibbutz in the factory. So I actually learned Hebrew. Actually, in Sri Lanka, I learned Singhalese as well. I've never used either language <laughs> no. since. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did learn Hebrew in the factory. Can you speak a little bit of either of those languages still? <sighs> Do you know, I went back to Sri Lanka and I couldn't remember very much. But like Lassanai means beautiful in Sri Lanka. Uh, Maginama Lucy, my name is Lucy. Yeah. Um, and what about Hebrew? Yeah. If someone was talking, I would pick up words. But Yeah. No, I'm just curious. Just, yeah. yeah. And then after you'd been to the kibbutz, you, you ended up back in Manhattan. My dad was a citizen. I could get a green card. So I went out there and I worked in a jewellery manufacturer. And I just took off. I actually thought I would spend the rest of my life there. I had a, my big yeah. suitcase. I took my worldly possessions. Um, and then after three years, I came back from my brother's wedding. And I realised I'd been quite lonely out there. And I got back with an old boyfriend and just spontaneously decided to stay. Surely Manhattan, though, you're in your 20s and you're living in Manhattan. It must have been quite exciting. You know, I said you said lonely, but uh, I, I've not been. I'd love to go. You know. Yeah, I think in some ways I found my 20s quite hard. You know, it was quite chaotic. Um, it was spiritually chaotic in a way. Yeah. And... It took me a while to um, settle from my year in Sri Lanka, strangely. And I think I still hadn't fully settled. And I did feel lonely in Manhattan. I did have a couple of friends, but I lived alone. And I suppose there was a certain level of intimacy, intimate friends I didn't really find. Yeah, um, yeah so I came back for good or bad. So I, I was... Quite cl quite close to getting an American passport, and I didn't because I came back to Britain. So at this point in your journey, moving on a little bit, and you're 
you're 28 and this is the start of your introduction and experience with breathwork. Yes, and that was back in the States again. So, okay, how um, did you end up back there? So, because the training was in Connecticut. Ah. So, I had a boyfriend and he paid for us to do this nine month training in Connecticut, which was one of the most um, intensive trainings in the world at that point. Right. More chaos, more turning inside out, upside down. So, the 20s were, were very turbulent, really. Um, but I think I. Um, started settling that in my 30s. But yeah, so that really was like being in a washing machine, that training. You said that you're doing sort of working in accounts whilst you're doing this at the time. So that was your career at the time, yeah? That was afterwards. That's after, is it? Yeah, before that, I just used to do temping jobs. I do right. temping jobs, travel, except for when I lived in New York. Then I had a proper job, actually. Okay, but I always felt just... quite caged in by proper jobs. <laughs> So initially with the breath work, it was more of a hobby, essentially a paid hobby, but you're doing this alongside your main job. Yeah, that's right. I mean, when I first came back from the training, I wanted to do it as work. But at the end of the day, it's very hard to pay rent, you know, on this kind of work. And I wasn't very good at um, creating enough business. So I only did that for about six months. And then I thought, you know, I've got to actually earn some proper money. So I got job in legal accounts, yeah. which actually was a very nice way eventually to become well-paid part-time work. Right. Um, it was quite a nice niche job. So I was really doing part-time office work like that until about four years ago. Um, and then my life took a different turn. So about four years ago, Lucy, Everything changed. This is a turning point in your life. Maybe tell us about that. Yes. Yeah, so basically my daughter and my stepchildren began to leave home. Um, and that obviously freed up certain energy for me. And I started doing more work with Sandra Ray, who's this um, incredible breath worker and seminar leader. She's yeah. nearly 80 now. I mean, she's been around right. a long time. Right. And she really turns people inside out, upside down, not always in a harmonious way, but certainly a transforming way. Yeah. And I went on a nine-day physical immortality retreat. I was actually assisting on that, and I met Sam and Greg there. This is in Glastonbury, In yeah? Glastonbury. Yeah. So that in itself was a very pivotal moment, meeting Sam and Greg. But also then we all went to India. I had been to India twice before with Sandra over my lifetime, right. and this so was now... Were you her assistant, or did you just go as part of a course? So the third went? time I went was a participant. The fourth time I was an assistant. Right. The third time I went with Sam and Greg, yeah. and we got a lot closer, and we came back and started working together for her. And when I came back that time, I got made redundant from a really nice, cushy job in London right. I thought oh my god and then I just really went for the breath work and I got a lot of clients very quickly and quick very soon made up the money I'd lost from that and felt much more on track yeah. maybe tell us and explain for the audience at home what is breath work and how does it work maybe just give them a bit of an explanation 
Yeah, so what I was doing at that point, I do, I, it's slightly different now, I have to say. But at that point, it was very much having private clients where you you do certain verbal techniques. And this is what rebirthing is. It's not just the breath work. It's the way you look at people's life story and help them to look at it. So you'd have these sessions of two and a half hours. And within that, there's an hour of breath work where you do this connected breath, which changes your state. Right. And are you breathing through your nose or your mouth, or is it a whole different range of techniques? Well, there's the different camps on that. So some people recommend through the mouth, others through the nose. I think both work. They're different. They're right. different. I'm moving more to nose breathing. And these days, for me, I do exclusively group work, and it's also very much a spiritual practice. So for me, it's more spiritual than it used to be. And it's about bringing in um, divine energy through the breath. You actually live in Windermere and you've lived there for many years. Yeah. And you didn't know Greg and Sam. Yeah, well, that's the really funny thing. So I met Greg and Sam in Glastonbury and then... Greg and I found out our children were actually at the same school. Right. And we both lived in this small town of 3,000 people for many years at the same time and never having met. Bizarre, isn't it? And then um, I actually moved away and moved back to Windermere in March. And Greg and Sam also moved to Windermere in March. See, that's destiny. Coincidence or yeah, not? No coincidences. <laughs> there are none. Maybe tell us then who is... Advaita Nanda, Lucy. Yes, well, this is the next phase. So after working deeply with Sandra Ray, Greg started working with Advaita Stoyan. And the transformation was extraordinary. And I saw him the first time he came back from one of these quantum transformation courses. And yeah. I couldn't get it out of myself I thought well, I've just got to do this and so then the following course Sam and I joined and this has been the most profound journey of my life I mean he's basically Advaita Nanda is a true yogi yeah and he's almost enlightened right. and so just to be in the presence of someone like that and we have to do well, we don't have to but you know I do a lot of spiritual practices every day and so yeah. with that you transform. Yeah. Um, this is the path of yoga and tantra, is that right? Yes, it yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I've been up to St. Catherine's Retreat and uh, staying there with Greg and Sam, Greg would meditate for, I think in total in a day, it's two and a half hours, roughly, something like that, which is quite a long time. There's been periods of my life when I've meditated for longer than that, but generally, when I meditate, it's 20 minutes either end of the day. Yeah. Greg's spiritual practices take a long time. Yeah, yeah. I, are you the same? Yeah. Yeah. I, I probably do about three and a half hours a day. Meditation? No, well, it's not just meditation, you see. We do, ideally you do postures, asanas, before your meditation, because that then balances you. Then it's meditation, and then we all have this thing of looking at a ping pong ball is one of the, the, the things uh, oh. for attention. We all do the, the ping pong ball technique. And that opens your third eye. And then what else? Um, then there's another, there's different types of meditation. So there's yeah. another one where you 
go into your supramental consciousness to answer questions about things you want answers to. So that's a whole beautiful technique that ideally you do every day. Um, And you can easily get up to five hours if you really wanted to. Do you mean you literally stare at a ping pong ball? You literally stare at a ping pong ball. Well, I mean, you look at it, then you shut your eyes and you memorise what you've seen. And because there's so little on it, it's a real challenge. Um, And then you hold it. You just hold this image of nothing, really. Um, That sounds very profound, actually, yeah. Yeah. And that is... It's a, it's, a, it's a simple skill that he gets all of us to do. But people who've been on this path for 30 years are still looking at ping pong balls, apparently. So you've it just got becomes to see, part of daily yeah, life. You've, you've got to see the humour in it as well, though, haven't you? I, I, mean, I think it's very healthy to laugh at all things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I laugh at it, too. Yeah. You know? So, Lucy, then, tell us you're one of the three co-founders of The Quantum Questions. Yes. So what is... What are the quantum questions and who am I? What is that? Yes, yeah, so this all really came out through lockdown. Right. So after completing this quantum transformation course, which I think we completed in February, mm-hmm. and then that created this huge inner energy. And then I started running something called the Who Am I course. I just made it up and to me it was just this little thing I was trying out and then suddenly others became involved and Greg and Sam became more involved and Advaita became involved and there was this potential within this and then everything grew out of that really and then um, the quantum questions is became the umbrella of this and So now we've got two main courses, the Who Am I series, which I think will go on endlessly because, you know, it's an endless subject. So the quantum questions and who am I, you said Advaita Nanda got involved. Yeah. So he's, in what way, how was he connected to it? Well, I suppose if you understand like an impulse, it's like he gives a kind of an impulse. He kind of pushes it along. Right is one way, I would say. Mm. And also he comes into the Who Am I series in Module 2. Last time he came and talked about what is a soul. Um, The previous series he came in and did a question and answer session. And he's just very behind it. And then he's now created this other course for us to lead called How to Live a Good Life. So he actually wrote that. And I think there's going to be many well, I know there's going to be many more courses yeah. um, that must be pretty amazing this is somebody that's taught you that you classes are near or very close to enlightened being and this person's supporting you and helping you along absolutely amazing and I think it's because they wanted you know you don't know who's creating all these things but it's having a different way of presenting ancient information. And in a way, this is a different um, possibility of doing that. So you can bring people into it that may be not quite sure what they're coming in for. They just know they want to find out more of who they are. And then actually it takes you on a slightly... um, Well, it brings an ancient yogi information and we have some incredible presenters who are also very high consciousness so 
with the quantum questions at the minute, I'll ask you a couple of questions about it. Is it based, is it predominantly online at the minute? Are you going to be doing some things at St. Catherine's Retreat? How does that work? Yeah, so at the moment, it had to be online. And I think that works very well. But in the long run, definitely not only online. I mean, yeah. we really want, ideally, after every couple of modules of a course, we all meet up. And we're hoping to do quite a few retreats in St. Catharines in Windermere. Yeah. Um, and I think it's... I think it is nice to have that extra dimension of meeting people in the flesh. But it also works amazingly well online, yeah. much better than I thought, particularly the breath work. It's, it's for me, I, I don't do anything online, you know, and that's a personal choice. And it doesn't mean it's not a great vehicle for other people. I had a lady on here last last week, actually, and I did a show with her and she's been a Samaritan for 14 years and works as a volunteer with certain charities and without zoom and things like that you know she's saving people's lives and without that the support group she runs online they potentially would you know she does a, a bereavement group and one for people that um were going to commit suicide as well and things yeah. like this so it's a great vehicle for lots of people but for me i want to meet people in the flesh you know and that's but that's a personal choice i suppose yeah, yeah and well what we do in all the courses is we have breakout rooms and people say it's they're always surprised at how close you can get to people. You know, they go into small groups of four people in a breakout room on Zoom and they talk about really deep things and they do create a bonding, a relationship. Um, some people have actually managed to meet up afterwards. So yeah, yeah. I think it's amazing and it opens up the world and it opens up people living in remote areas. I remember, you know, when I mm. was living in Windermere, I would love to have done something like this. Mm. Um, there are lots of good aspects, but I also think if that becomes the norm, once you accept that, you know, it's, sometimes it's quite hard to go back to the way things were, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a personal choice for me, that's all. So, Lucy, if somebody wants to come and do some breath work, if they want to find out more about the quantum questions, where do they go? I think the easiest thing is just to go to the website. Um, it's www.thequantumquestions.com. Okay. Yeah, we do have Facebook and Instagram, The Quantum Questions. Um, but yes, I do a free weekly breathwork group on a Tuesday, which is quite a big group. Brilliant. Um, that, so somebody can come along and just try it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, and then um, obviously we've got a couple of courses. There's other free things we do. There's, so we've got free and paid. We're trying to be very inclusive. Mm. I think it's a great way to, if it's something that somebody knows nothing about, they'd love to try it, but you know they're reluctant to part with the money because they don't fully understand what it is and how it works and stuff. A little taster session is a great way to get people to try it. And then usually they think, wow, this is amazing. And I'll, I'll do some more of that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Lucy Pattinson. Have I said that right? Yes. <laughs> I struggle with that. Lucy Pattinson, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an, an absolute pleasure. You're a fascinating lady. You've had a really interesting journey. And no doubt we'll cross paths in the very near future because I'd love to come and try some breathwork. Well, thank you, Patrick, for having me on. You do very interesting podcasts. So thank, thank you, you for giving that to everybody. Well, I don't. It's the guests. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually do that. But thank you, Lucy. OK, folks, thanks for watching. And I'm going to leave you this week with a quote. It's in my book, but I didn't write this. This is from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And I'm going to actually have to read this because it's quite a long quote. 
When you are inspired by some great purpose, some extraordinary project, or your thoughts break their bonds, your mind transcends limitations, your consciousness expands in every direction, and you find yourself in a new, great and wonderful world. Dormant forces, faculties and talents become alive, and you discover yourself to be a greater person by far than you ever dreamed yourself to be. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. You can go to the website midnightmcbride.com. You can catch me on the radio every Monday night on Salford City FM. You can buy the first book from Pills to Peace on Amazon in a paperback and Kindle and in a lot of other places. But you can also get the audio book on ACX, iTunes and Audible. You can also see this video podcast on YouTube. It's now out twice a week. And then three days later, it goes out as an audio podcast on Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play and possibly Pandora as well. I think there's six platforms now. Thanks for watching. This has been Midnight McBride. I hope you've enjoyed the show and I'll see you next time. Shalom. Thank you.